Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This holiday season, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation delivers on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices America's greatest heroes have made for us with their annual season of hope. Between Thanksgiving and New Year's Eve, the foundation will deliver mortgage-free homes to dozens and dozens of America's catastrophically injured veterans, fallen first responder families, and Gold Star families. Bring hope to heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number 2, T.org. Sports fam, it's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here from a chilly Dallas, Texas, for another edition of F in Sports, the podcast for teachers grade sports biggest issues. I say a chilly Dallas, Texas, because we had all of two ish inches of of snow last week. What I will say is that's enough to shut down the city. We did lose power for a couple hours in the middle of the night one night, and that did kind of prevent us from recording a midterm episode last week. Now, I will say that most people north of the Mason-Dixon line or probably even just slightly farther north than Dallas listen to that and think, what? Two inches of snow? But yeah, that's kind of the way things go here in Texas because it's on its own grid. Thank you to ERCOT. A single snowstorm, like a couple of inches on its own, can shut down entire cities and areas for days at a time, we had off of Thursday and Friday of school and work for most people. It really got kind of nasty, but it's the weekend, or at least recording on the weekend, and things are clearing up, so I think the power should last the entire time we're doing this. Mostly important to do with, you know, recording because of the internet and those kinds of things. So, without further ado, we got a couple fun theses, a series of Black History Month lessons that we're going to probably keep going all month long. 
But first, let's dive in with a gold star and a couple of detentions. All right, so our first and lone gold star for the day goes to Ndamukong Sue. Now, folks that have listened to the show a lot know I really like watching Ndamukong Sue play football, even if I'm not the biggest fan of his, uh, we'll say, antics, although I could really say his leg kicks and those kinds of things. But this week, Ndamukong Sue decided to tweet out a string of advice for people following him on Twitter. And I have to say, it's one of the better Twitter threads I've seen from a guy talking about lessons in sports. So first, I want to just read the long string of tweets. Nanamakinsu writes, Some advice from a guy that won't be at the Super Bowl in two weeks. Knowing how, how to process failure is one of the most important building blocks of success. Thoughts on failing and how to use it for gains. First, I don't believe in moral victories. Winning and losing is straightforward. It's one or the other. You can do well or make a good effort, but if you come up short, that's still a loss. And the only way to turn a loss into a win depends on what you do with that failure. How people react to failure is also pretty A or B. Some people let it grind them down. They use it as an excuse to give up, parentheses, most people. Others use it to reflect, improve, and do better, parentheses, few people. If you get into the latter camp, you're already in the right direction. The next step is avoiding the blame game trap. It's really easy to point fingers when something goes wrong, but this cannot be part of the process. Why? You can't control or change others, only yourself. Focus on recognizing your involvement and how you could have done better. Know that failure isn't just an opportunity to understand things situationally. It's also a good time to understand your true character. Most people aren't honest with themselves about who they are. Failure pulls back that curtain. Don't be afraid to look. Once you've fully reflected about it, don't just keep things in your head. That part is crucial. Write it down. Keep a record of what happened and what you learned. Look back at those notes when you're in similar situations. Lastly, recognize that this is a temporary state. Failures today can be part of victories tomorrow. Just because you have a plan to win everything, there's always bigger vision you might not be able to see. The most important thing to remember is that failure can actually set you up for success. Small failures along the way, with lessons learned, help you keep moving. People who win all the time think they have all the answers. That's actually the most dangerous place to be in. My hope is that you can apply all this to the failures in your life that are yet to come. Every failure is a reset point. It forces accountability. It reminds us all to be humble. Now, I have to say the introspective lesson I did not anticipate learning last week from Dominican Sue is very much appreciated. I look at it as a way to look at what is really going on in the heads of these elite athletes. And yes, whether or not you think Dominican Sue is a winner, even though he's been in one Super Bowl with the Rams and won one with the Bucks, or whether or not you think being three-time All-Pro, or if you think about the Defensive Rookie of the Year, or all the different Pro Bowls, or being a part of the 2010 All-Decade team, Whatever you think about him, if you think he's successful or a failure, I think it's important to note that those kinds of lessons are happening somewhat subconsciously in the heads of all of your favorite and most successful pro athletes. And I think it's worth pointing out that we don't get to see that kind of introspection from a guy, especially not while they're playing, and especially not as blunt and straightforward as that. That's a lesson that can be taken to all of your lives. I appreciate as a teacher seeing Nadabakansu get to lay out those lessons for all the people following him. Again, Sue himself has millions of followers on Twitter. He did not have to do that for all of us, but he did. And shout out to Dominican Sue. 
I say millions of followers on Twitter. I'm just being corrected now. It is 647,000 followers on Twitter. Uh, so maybe he needs some more if he's handing out free life lessons. I'm not sure where Sue goes after sports. I know he's invested in a number of different tech type of things, uh, some different banking type of stuff as well online. I'm not sure if that's quite crypto or where he's going with that. But I think it's worth pointing out that Sue is offering a vital lesson for all of us when he says that. Shout out to Nubbin Sue for spreading the good word on Twitter. I also think it's worth pointing out that he like he also does things like tweet about Black History Month. He tweets things like caption this and like silly pictures. He has all kinds of fun stuff he sends out. Probably worth your follow on Twitter. I don't know how you value your follows on Twitter, but I think he's probably one of those guys worth it. Detention this week goes to one of those guys that's probably not worth it. So the first attention this week is going to go to Rocky Wirtz, chairperson of the Chicago Blackhawks. If you did not see the video last week, uh, when asked about some of the atrocious sexual misconduct happening in the Chicago Blackhawks organization about 10 or 12 years ago, Rocky Wirtz declined to answer and said that they were not going to answer things as a organization and would not let other representatives answer. And really, it looked like he was only going to talk about things from like the present day and the present hockey season and so on. Now, I get Wirtz being uncomfortable and not wanting to answer things today, but him shutting down other people, including his son, from answering on behalf of the organization in the same press conference is not only just defensive, it looks downright guilty. It's a bad, bad look from some people that are being accused of oversight and misjudging things and allowing misconduct to happen in the organization. Rocky, this is not a good look. Telling people that you're not going to comment on it is one thing. Not allowing the question to be asked of other people and shutting down the conversation entirely is really, really, really not great. Time to go to detention, sit down, and think about what we did wrong there. Speaking of sitting down and thinking about what we did wrong, detention goes to, I'm going to say Russell Westbrook Twitter, because I actually, the more I continue to watch this guy, don't have a lot of problems with Russell Westbrook, but I do have problems with Russell Westbrook Twitter losing their mind as the Lakers benched him for the duration of overtime against the New York Knicks, an overtime period in which the, the Lakers won. The Lakers were down almost 20 at one point in the second quarter and had a big, big third quarter from Malik Monk that rode the hot hand on throughout the second half and won by seven points in overtime. Now, neither the Lakers or the Knicks are having as good a season as they would have hoped. The Lakers obviously being champions two years ago, the Knicks having a surprising great season last year. Both teams are kind of, I mean, they're just below 500. They're kind of below expectations, unless you had very interesting expectations. But Westbrook was minus 15 in 29 minutes on the floor. He was not, simply put, he was not the best player on the floor for the Lakers at any point he was out there. The Lakers went with Trevor Reza. The Lakers went with THT. The Lakers went with Austin Reeves. They filled in that spot with other guys. And frankly, it paid dividends. The second half Lakers won by a lot of points. They had a 31 to 13 third quarter to get the game back to being close. They lost the fourth by just three points and then won overtime by seven they won by seven points at the end of overtime and i i think it's worth pointing out that the less westbrook played the better they did and i understand westbrook twitter freaking out about oh this does not fit but at the end of the day the lakers are not built to make westbrook happy and if that means sitting him and pulling him off the bench and making him more of a sixth seventh eighth ninth tenth twelfth man 
then that's the way it has to go. I'm tired of Westbrook Twitter being one of the most, I, I, there's like player Twitter and team Twitter. I don't know how in, into NBA Twitter you are. Westbrook player Twitter might be as atrocious as it gets. Mark that down. Anyway, we're going to take that as a detention for Westbrook Twitter, not Russell Westbrook himself. He was very, very happy the team won. Shout out to him. Shout out to the Lakers for winning a fun game on Saturday night. All right, so we got two theses this week. Both are involving the NBA trade deadline. And then we're going to get into a section that we'll have the rest of the month for our Black History Month lessons. So without further ado, let's dive in. All right, so our first thesis reads that more than two All-Stars will be traded before the NBA trade deadline this Thursday. I read that, and I give that a B. I do think there'll be more than two traded. Let's break down why. All right, so the thesis reads that there'll be more than two All-Stars traded at the deadline this year or before the deadline this year in the NBA and I gave that a B and I want to say first and foremost the biggest thing of this to me is it feels like we're building towards a very large Ben Simmons trade and in that trade because of Daryl Morey's history I feel fairly confident in saying there will be at least one more all-star in that trade now I'm going to break down a very specific 76ers scenario later in the podcast so I kind of want to save that for that segment, but that's already to All-Stars. The other thing worth looking at is, as it goes, the Indiana Pacers are as big a sellers as there are on the market. They have All-Star Devonis Sabonis, and I think it's worth pointing out that not only is he an All-Star, he's the one of two valuable people on the Pacers that will be traded. And if they really are selling to rebuild a team for Rick Carlisle, I think he's got to go. Not because he doesn't fit with Carlisle, what they're trying to do. He fits with most systems. But because, truthfully, if you're trading with the Pacers, who else are you going to want? Like, who else will actually bring back any sort of return that Carlisle can work with? The other thing I'll look at this is... We just gave Russell Westbrook's fans and attentions. Whatever you think of Russell Westbrook as a player, he is a former All-Star that I feel like the Lakers will be moving in the next few days. They benched him at the end of overtime on Saturday night, but he's missed the end of several games. There's a rumored Westbrook-John Wall swap. Obviously, I would think it'd be interesting that the Rockets would probably take back first-round picks there. They're not going to just give up John Wall for nothing and, and a salary dump. As far as the Rockets go, they'll just not play Westbrook when he gets there, the same way they're not playing John Wall right now. I think that that's an interesting move. I also think that after Friday's big trade in the NBA, we saw the Portland Trailblazers and the LA Clippers swap a few pieces that felt periphery at the time. You know, Norman Powell is a very good player. Robert Cummings is a very good player. And both are headed to the Clippers, and they're going to really use them. But what that really means for the rest of the league is it looks like the Portland Trailblazers are selling. And if they're selling, we very well could see Dame Lillard moved in the next few days. Now, Dame Lillard has a massive contract. He's got all the way through 2025, the summer 2025, I should say. And he's making over $40 million three of those four seasons, the last three of those four seasons. And... I have to say that it's hard for me to imagine Portland rebuilding a team where he's making close to $50 million by the end of that contract. And along the way, they're also paying CJ McCollum 
into the mid-30s. And I look at those two things and think, man, that backcourt has not worked as far as winning goes. The Portland Trailblazers need to blow it up. They're at the bottom of the West right now. I think they're scraping at the 10 spot as it currently stands. And you don't pay that much money to be at the 10 spot. So what's going to happen? Here's my big prediction. I think Lillard and Westbrook is the swap, not Wall and Westbrook. Because here's the deal. Portland can lose games by playing the Russell Westbrook thing and so on. Do whatever they want there. That's fine, dandy, fun, whatever. Dame Lillard coming to LA is an immediate difference maker. He's a California kid. He's from Oakland. That's an immediate game-changing type of play for the Lakers to make. It's also not that crazy different on the books for the Lakers. And he's a much more reliable player, a much more efficient scorer, and spaces the floor out for their small ball lineups to attack the cup or their big bully ball lineups to back guys down in the post. It really works better for them on both ends. And I think it's the kind of move that money makes. If the Blazers really want to sell, pulling in Russell Westbrook appears to be the best way to sell. That's, again, two potential all-stars being swapped right there. And we haven't even mentioned Ben Simmons. I think this feels like an inevitability. That's not to say that there won't be other great players moved as well. I think we're heading towards a Jeremy Grant move. And by that, I mean he wants to be on a competitive team. He kind of weirdly has said he thought he'd get that in Detroit. And while we can question his judgment there, what I will say is he wants to be competitive and Detroit wants to continue to to rebuild. I imagine they swap him somewhere. He's not been an all-star, but he has been valuable. Uh, He was also on like the Olympic team that just won gold. And he, he clearly can help you win basketball games. He's a part of the good Thunder teams in like the 2017, 18, 19 seasons, right? I imagine that means we're looking at somewhere where he gets moved as a piece as well. And Detroit will not be looking to bring in an all-star. That's a non-all-star type of move. But I also think it's worth mentioning is good players moving around. You could also see there's big rumors about like, does Tobias Harris end up outside of Philadelphia? Could you lump him and Ben Simmons in for some giant monstrosity, giants type of move to bring multiple stars into Philadelphia? Maybe. Tobias Harris has also not been an all-star, but again, you could see it working as good players continue to move around the league. Another all-star I want to talk a little bit about is Julius Randle. Julius Randle was an all-star last season in New York. He's had a frustrating season, as the Knicks have had an equally frustrating season around him. And I think it's worth pointing out that the DFW and Kentucky product is probably on his way out of New York as well. The big issue for New York will be his value in the book or value in your finances is all-star Julius Randle. Do teams actually think, after watching him play this season, that he's worth that? Like, will the Hawks give up John Collins and some young pieces for him, even though that that's an all-star type of package, potentially, with John Collins' growth? Or will they say, no, that's too expensive because Julius Randle is no longer playing like an all-star? Does he end up making his way to Portland as some sort of a swap while they're blowing up that team in Portland? and bringing back a C.J. McCollum or something like that. Perhaps, but again, if the Blazers are trying to bottom out, maybe they don't want all-star Julius Randle, right? That's not going to help them necessarily bottom out in quite the same way. The other thing worth pointing out here is, like, could he end up in some sort of a Bradley Beal deal? As we're transitioning and talking about Bradley Beal, it feels inevitable that Bradley Beal will be moved. Is he the kind of star that New York wants? But again, 
if he's the kind of star New York wants, is Washington going to really put together the pieces to add up to contracts, and how does that work with Julius Randle? Because Julius Randle, again, is an all-star that is currently not being valued as such. I don't know what the Wizards will do with Beal, but I have to imagine that if they're sending him out, they probably don't actually want to bring back an all-star, right? Because if they're going to try and bottom out, they're going to try and rebuild, they're going to try and move on from that John Wall, Bradley Beal backcourt that they had for a while and then had Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal for a year or whatever, if they're going to try and rebuild, it doesn't make much sense to bring in an expensive all-star unless you can tag in a bunch of draft capital the Knicks don't have. So as you look at Washington doing that, the big question mark I have, and that I know our editor Chris is probably chuckling right now, does Boston do the same? Boston has Jason Tatum, a a one-of-a-kind generational talent. They have Jalen Brown, I would argue, a also generational type of multifaceted forward that plays a bunch of different positions, is very versatile. But they don't have a lot of pieces, except for like maybe Marcus Smart, that other people want. And if they don't have pieces other people want, and they're kind of sitting in the bottom third of the East, do they really get to sit around and watch this team and watch two young stars continue to perform in the bottom third of the East, or do they make some push? And if they're going to make some push, but no one wants anything besides Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, it kind of feels like one of them's going to go. And two of those three guys are all-stars. Again, this thesis is more than two all-stars to be traded. I think that one of those guys, probably Jalen Brown, because I don't think you can physically move on from Jason Tatum. I think he's a guy you're building a franchise around. I think someone's got to go. Now, it might not happen this trade deadline, but someone's got to go. All of those, again, we did not talk about the big 76ers Nets rumor because that's our next thesis, but all of those trades and all of those trade pieces involve all-stars or involve all-star type of players with the exception of like Jeremy Grant or whatever, right? I feel fairly confident looking at the next four or five days as I'm recording this that some all-star is getting moved. Now, is it going to be a current all-star like a Jason Tatum or a former all-star like a Julius Randle or a former all-star like a Russell Westbrook or whatever? I don't know necessarily. The thesis also is not specific enough, but I will say that I look at this very simply and say, yes, I do think all-stars get moved this trade deadline. I don't think there's just smoke there. I think there are a bunch of teams that feel behind schedule and are below 500, behind schedule and around the bottom half of the playoffs that want to get up to the top half. We haven't talked about those top half teams being teams like Cleveland or Memphis, even Phoenix to some degree, that feel a little ahead of schedule. And if they're a little ahead of schedule, do they pull in some all-star to put them over the top, right? Does Memphis go out and get someone like the Monta Sabonis? Again, we mentioned that the Indiana Pacers are trying to sell. Do they go get that guy to put next to John Morant and the great passing ability and the way he flows into that offense could work beautifully, do they go get that guy to pair up with John Morant and really push them over the top in the West? Or do you see someone like Cleveland go out and maybe not get the all-star, but get a really good player in Eric Gordon? Gordon pairs very well as far as the salary swap with Ricky Rubio, because Rubio's obviously not going to help them at all right now. He's a great six-man off the bench for them. Does he fit in well as a versatile type of defender in Cleveland, we'll see. I I know that Eric Gordon's not the splashy all-star kind of vibe, but he's a very good player. He's been a very good player in the league for a while now. And I look at this and think, man, 
Memphis and Cleveland are two teams that are young and could bring in star talent and move their way up to that top echelon. And again, the thesis was just two or more all-stars. I think each of these can involve some form of all-star move. We hadn't even talked about one big all-star because he hadn't played this year that needs to be moved as well. So let's go ahead and move into the next thesis. All right, so as we record this very full of NBA Trade Headline Talk episode of FN Sports, you know, to give you guys some heads up on when we were recording, a breaking news story just popped in about a trade between the Indiana Pacers and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Indiana Pacers sending Ohio native Karis LeVert home to play with the Cleveland Cavaliers. They're sending him off for with a second round pick from Miami to Cleveland for Ricky Rubio, a lottery protected first round pick and a second round pick in both 2022 and 2027. That's a swap of basically picks for Rubio not being able to play this season uh, is also going, but I guess he's not really included. It's more or less Levert and picks being swapped here because again, Rubio is done for the season. And I have to say, if I'm grading trades on this one, I'm giving Cleveland and a Cleveland went this trade because that's them continuing to push the chips to the table on this season when they're ahead of schedule. You don't know how often these things come around. Shout out to Cleveland. Good work to the Cavaliers there. Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make bombs, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. All right. The second thesis of the day is more about NBA trade deadline stuff. This has to do with the rumors from last Friday. The rumors were that the 76ers and Brooklyn Nets were exploring trade options between Ben Simmons and James Harden, and could they pull off some massive superstar swap kind of a deal? Now, this rumor, I'm going to give a B plus that this rumor is real. The thesis, however, reads that the 76ers and Nets rumors are not true, and so that I'm going to give... I don't know, a C minus. Let's dive in. All right, so the thesis reads, the 76ers and Brooklyn Nets rumors are not true. Again, I want C minus because I guess we could see a world where we get to Thursday afternoon and nothing has happened. However, this trade just makes too much sense. And it makes sense on a number of different levels. It's not just because 
Philadelphia's GM, Daryl Morey, obviously has a very heightened value of James Harden. It does not just make sense because, you know, Brooklyn is kind of a team that needs some sort of a rejuvenation of sorts. It doesn't just make sense because of Joel Embiid. It makes sense for all of those things and more. If you look at Philadelphia and you know Daryl Morey's history, you know that he is not going to lose a star for anything less than a star. And Ben Simmons, in the right system, in the right setup, is a star. He is a bona fide all-star, a top-tier defensive player, defensive player of the year candidate. So that is step one. Daryl Morey, for all of the flaws you can point out in his system, does not bring in guys that are not stars he only wants stars and will fill in the cracks around them. He wants as many stars as possible and will fill in the rest of middle contracts, low-level contracts, whatever. So that's the first thing. The second thing is Philadelphia has this star that is not playing. Any value brought in for Ben Simmons is positive increase in production because Ben Simmons' current production is zero. As of the time of recording this, the Sixers sit fifth place in the Eastern Conference and have gotten zero production out of an all-star. Now, that means that anything would be better, of course, and you can go get Buddy Heald, you can go get CJ McCollum, you can get a number of different guys that are making a decent amount of money but are not all-stars and help out production immediately. But can you get more production than a former MVP that, again, has like the second most triple doubles of anyone active, certainly since 2015. And when you look at things like the kinds of way he's played in Brooklyn, would pair very well with your star. I think that's all important to factor in here. That's the most value you can get back. So of course, Daryl Morey is interested because you're not going to get anything close to like a current MVP Giannis or Jokic for this guy. You're going to get a very recent former MVP level all-star for this guy that's still putting up over 20 points, still putting up over 10 assists, and still getting six, seven, eight rebounds a game, depending on the month. I think right now he's closer to eight. So as we look at that, that all makes sense. On the Brooklyn side of things, Kyrie Irving is extended throughout the rest of it. He got a contract extension. I think it's three or four more years. Kevin Durant extended his contract. He's got three or four more years. James Harden did not. James Harden could walk this summer. He's got a player option on his contract and does not have to opt back in. Now, part of the reason there is that you don't opt back in because while he's making upwards of $46 million this summer if he opts in, he could theoretically sign for more. That's the way the contracts go. We see, we saw the other day that the NBA has reported that they're going to up the salary cap next year more than expected. It's going to go from expected 119 to expected 121. And that, again, means that James Harden is potentially worth more. It also means that if he doesn't like Brooklyn after 18 months of being there, he's out. We got to remember that the thing that brought Harden to Brooklyn, or I guess the couple of things that brought Harden to Brooklyn were, one, his relationship with Kevin Durant. He's got very close friendship there. They played together in Oklahoma City when they were both really young, very, very they talk very admirably about one another. Good respect between those two. Okay, Kevin Durant has not gotten to play much while he's been there. That's worth pointing out. The second thing, Mike D'Antoni was an assistant coach for the Brooklyn Nets at the time, or at least when they went out and got James Harden. 
Mike D'Antoni stepped down in July. He's now in like an advisory position with the Pelicans, but D'Antoni is no longer on staff in Brooklyn. That was a big pull. That was a familiar face and a friendly face on the coaching staff. No longer there. Another thing was he is very close with Steve Nash. He's done some work with Steve Nash in off seasons. Steve Nash apparently continues to get, like obviously you could talk about the Steve Nash system or whatever, but it appears that there are reports and leaks that those guys might be butting heads, right? That the system Nash wants to run might not be the system that James Harden fits best in. So if that relationship soured, that's another thing that's gone south as far as Harden coming to Brooklyn. Also in Harden coming to Brooklyn, it looked like he was going to be able to share the load with these three stars. Since James Harden has been in Brooklyn, Kevin Durant has played less than 70 games on the floor. I guess so it'll be just over that with playoffs, but just over 70 games total while James Harden has been in Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving has played less than 60 games while James Harden has been in Brooklyn. James Harden has played over 90 counting playoff games in Brooklyn. He did not anticipate shouldering all of the load. The whole point of this was to split that load, to split it with people. And yes, you can't predict Kevin Durant being injured on and off throughout the entire time there. Although you could argue like he's been injury prone the last couple of years, especially post Achilles. I could expect anyone to not be injury prone. But you also can't expect that Regardless of what you think about Kyrie Irving getting the jab, not getting the jab, whatever, a lot of pro athletes got the jab just to be able to play. And a guy like James Harden, that for all of his flaws, does come to work and does get out there and play and does work his butt off to be able to play. To watch Kyrie Irving not do the thing that so many teammates are doing to not be able to, and then he's not able to play, that certainly has to be rubbing him the wrong way, especially when Kyrie Irving is going on these different Instagram live videos, getting all super fake deep and all those kinds of things, while James Harden was not even friends with him. That was not the relationship that brought him to Brooklyn. I have to think that that's got to be super, super frustrating. Then you factor in the like report from Jake Fisher about like he's not liking the city of Brooklyn and not liking the cold and not liking New York lifestyle. Then you factor in the report from... Bleacher Report that like Daryl Morey has said he'll do anything to bring James Harden to Philadelphia. And then you factor in all those other things on top of that as well. This feels like a where there is smoke, there is fire type of thing. And frankly, it feels like the kind of thing that Brooklyn, if they don't do some sort of move by the trade deadline on Thursday, is certainly rolling the dice on hoping that nothing happens afterwards, right? That certainly feels like a plausible case. So yes, I do think that there's a lot of truth to these rumors. The deal, I think that's it. That's iffy here, and why I gave the not true a C minus instead of flunking it is simple. Are you going to trade an all star that you know will make an impact like Ben Simmons to Brooklyn? If you're Philadelphia, are you going to send him to Brooklyn 90 minutes down the road when? you'll likely play them in the playoffs, if not in the first or second round, certainly by the conference finals. Because let's face it, as good a fit as we all thought Ben Simmons would be in like Golden State, right? The fit there was all of the stars around him, right? Having all of that shooting around Ben Simmons was the fit. Not because Ben Simmons was going to score a lot of points. When healthy and when able to play, putting all of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant around him as well is as good a shooting as you're going to get. 
that's tremendous. That's incredible shooting to have around him at one point in time. And I think that I would expect Darren Morey to be a little wary about that, unless you don't think Durant will come back, unless you don't think Kyrie Irving is going to get cleared to play in home playoff games. I just don't know if you'd want to do that. If you're Brooklyn, do you send your most consistent, productive player 90 minutes down the road to Philly when you may have to very well play them as well? Do you do that as well when, theoretically, you're going to have to play them in the playoffs? That's the big thing I see sitting here is, do they really want to trade with direct competition? Because Brooklyn has to go all in on winning now. They traded all of their future draft picks to Houston for James Harden. Philadelphia has to go all in on winning right now. They've got Joel Embiid. They got this roster set up. They went it all on Tobias Harris. They, you know, they've got things going for them right now. They can't wait for the future either. If you're the 76ers, if you're the Nets, that's two competing right now against one another. The only thing I could see holding this back are if Brooklyn thinks they can re-sign James Harden in the summer, obviously, or the idea that you're trading them to your direct competition in division and conference, that's a big holdup I could see each of these teams having to face. All right, this last segment is going to be a consistent one over the course of Black History Month. Now, this is a chance for me to bluntly plug my own Twitter a little bit, but it's something I've been doing on my Twitter, and I've been sharing one Black History Month type of story about one athlete each day. As we record this on February 6th, I've thus done six athletes. They are pinned to my profile. So go at Painsworth512 on Twitter. You can scroll through and find them all there. It's the pinned tweet. It has a thread of threads of sorts to have all of the different athletes. The first one was Fritz Pollard. Pollard was the first black player at Brown and the first black All-American. He played and coached in the earliest stages of the NFL. Pollard is one of nine black players in the early 1920s and the only black coach in the NFL. While positions might have changed some, Pollard played what would be called the quarterback by modern standards. He called the plays, he's also the coach, took the snap, and distributed the ball in a high-scoring offense. Pollard played in the face of racist chants, songs, and cheers. After being forced to retire in the late 1920s, the NFL owners reached a, quote, gentleman's agreement upon the folding of the AFL and outright, outright outlawed black players by 1932 because of the influx of players in the AFL. They didn't feel like they needed them. Pollard founded the first black tabloid. He was inducted into NFL Hall of Fame in 2005. That's Fritz Pollard. The second thread was also in the NFL, a guy named Eldridge Dickey. The Houston-born Dickey was the first ever black quarterback, official quarterback, started or drafted when the Raiders and the AFL selected him 25th overall. He was one of the most talented college quarterbacks and punters of all time. At Tennessee State, shout out TSU and HBCU, Dickey threw for 6,500 yards and 67 touchdowns in just three seasons. Dickey was noted for being able to throw with either hand with both power and accuracy while leading the TSU offense to 41 points per game. Reports indicate that Dickey actually outperformed Ken Stabler, including throwing touchdowns that regularly went 50-plus yards in the air, but was moved to wide receiver before the season started. There was a racist perception that Dickey, whose IQ was tested a couple different times and all of them came in at over 130, quote, couldn't be intelligent, end quote, to be a quarterback. After playing wide receiver in 1968, Dickey suffered from addiction, some credit to never being able to play quarterback, and returned in 1971. Later, Dickey would become a minister. The third day's Black History Month athlete was Walter Major Taylor. Taylor was a professional cyclist, initially racing in long, like five or more day long races, before moving into the sprint distances. 
Taylor set a number of world records and was the second black athlete to win any world championship in 1899 and the first from the United States. Taylor's father, Gilbert Taylor, was a Civil War vet from Kentucky. Major was born in Indiana and began cycling at a young age and was a pro by 18. Taylor was refused eligibility in races across the South and in other races, white racers would attempt to collude to keep him in the back. In his autobiography, Taylor outlines the mental exhaustion of competing other cyclists and racists simultaneously, though he held several world records. He recommended other black youth not take up cycling professionally due to the racism he faced. Taylor's investments fell apart in the early stages of the Great Depression. He died in 1932 of a heart attack with very relatively little to his name. He was buried in an unmarked grave until the Schwinn Bicycle Company moved his remains to a more prominent location in 1948. Our fourth day of Black History Month gave us Rube Foster. Foster was the best pitcher in the first decade of the 1900s. He began his career at the Waco Yellow Jackets, independent black baseball team, and eventually the Chicago Union Giants. In summer of 1905, he played for the multiracial Philadelphia Giants. In his 12 games as a starter, he won eight. Stats from eight from five of his eight wins, quote, went missing. But in the remaining seven total games we have stats for, Foster threw 82 strikeouts. Spectators estimate he threw well over 120 strikeouts over the course of the 12 games, but again, we're missing five games worth of stats. The next season, Foster was 25-3. and three. Foster broke his leg in July of 1909 and was back pitching by the playoffs that October. By 1910, he'd purchased the St. Paul Colored Gophers and played for the team as he owned them. He moved them to Chicago and renamed them the Giants after his previous club. Foster partnered with the White Sox Charlie Comiskey, the same Comiskey they named the park for, for their own park space. By 1917, Foster was on his last trip to the mound. He was consumed with ownership and running the team. In 1920, Foster met with six other owners and began the, Nash, the Negro National League. Foster's club amassed the most talent quickly and won the first three pennants. Foster nearly died from a gas leak in 1925. He suffered from mental health issues from there on. His paranoia led to him being institutionalized by 1926, and he passed away in 1930. But his funeral had an overflow crowd of 3,000 people, even though it was on a snowy day in the Chicago winter. Day 5, a little more recently, went to Debbie Thomas. Thomas medaled in three different world games, as well as the 1988 Olympics as a figure skater. She was the first black athlete to win a Winter Olympic medal of any kind. While she was working on her craft, she was also a pre-med student at Stanford. After her Olympic career, she graduated in 1991 and had medical residencies at the University of Arkansas and Charles Drew U in L.A., Thomas had high goals and even publicly discussed working to be an astronaut someday. Thomas spent the 90s and 2000s working on a medical career before struggling with mental health and financial issues in the early 10s. Reports indicate that she's now living with her family in Richmond, in Richland, Virginia, working to help the region's socioeconomic issues. Day 6, Sunday, February 6, brought us Jack Johnson, famous for being the heavyweight champion of the world and the most notably beat James J. Jeffries in the 1910 fight of the century. Johnson began boxing at 16 after beating up a man over a game of craps. His first pro win was a two-round knockout in 1898. After the fight, Johnson was arrested because prize fighting was technically illegal in Texas and the fight was in Galveston. Johnson eventually went on to win the World Colored Heavyweight Championship in 1908 in Australia. He held the world title for 2,151 days. Johnson began also winning fights against white competitors, upsetting 
many. Johnson cemented his, his place in boxing history in 1910 when he fought, quote, the great white hope, Jeffries. The fight was in Reno, Nevada, in front of 20,000 people, again, 20,000 people in 1910. Jeffries had never been knocked down before, but hit the mat several times in the 15 rounds before throwing in the title. The fight lit fuses of racial tension across the country and places from New York to Pittsburgh to New Orleans to Houston to St. Louis, Little Rock, and Las Vegas, everywhere in between, all had different riots happen. The film of the fight was the most watched film in the United States for the next five years, and Johnson held the title until 1915. Johnson had three different documented marriages, each with a white woman. This was illegal in several states and ruffled a lot of feathers, to say the least. Johnson took criticism and bad press from all angles. Johnson was arrested in 1912 for transporting a white woman, allegedly a prostitute, across state lines for, quote, immoral purposes. Again, that's the first six days of this experiment we're running on Twitter. We're going to tweet out a different story every day. If you've got suggestions, feel free to find me on Twitter at painter 512 Shoot me an idea or a name you want to hear the story of, and we will break it down and talk about it, I'm sure. Thank you all for checking us out. Again, that's at Painsworth512 on Twitter. <laughs> Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. Yes, we talked a lot about the NBA trade deadline, but if you want to hear more about the Super Bowl, you're in luck. This week's midterm will be all about the Super Bowl. It'll be out for you guys on Thursday morning, so make sure you're paying attention to the feed for that, subscribe and do all those wonderful things to the podcast to make sure you find that episode when it comes out on Thursday morning. If you enjoyed the NBA talk, make sure you go check out bellyupsports.com and all the great NBA coverage. you got a number of new writers there for 2022, so be sure to check out the site and scroll through the entire catalog of Belly Up Basketball writing. Uh, you can find my own words about things like the Houston Rockets. As far as the show goes, we make sure we thank Chris Sliwa for all his editing work. You can find him at Chris underscore Sliwa7 on Twitter. That's Chris underscore Sliwa7 on Twitter. He does all the behind-the-scenes action with the show. As far as me and myself, you can find myself at Painsworth512 on Twitter and Instagram. It's P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. That's why I'll be posting things like the things I'm writing, the various shows I'm in. I've been featuring a couple things this week. The various losses I take on sneakers, although I did go backdoor through StockX to find some of the crafted ones, and I'm really, really liking those as I stare at them up on the shelf behind me. You can find those kinds of things, including Texas Longhorns basketball talk, Houston Rockets basketball talk. I do a lot of different tweeting. Make sure you find me at Painsworth512 on Twitter. That's also where I'll be sharing every day's Black History Month entry. Again, the same as the last segment. We'll be doing one of those every single day, so make sure you check Painsworth512 for all of that. This show is also on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us at F underscore N underscore sports on Instagram. That's at F underscore N underscore sports. And on Twitter, we're at F N sports. So it's F I N S P R T S number two, all one word. We'll be sure to go through that to find all the latest information on the show, as well as our link tree there. You can find the links to all of our different sponsors. That's my bookie. That's Yeti. That's the beard struggle. You can also find a link to our merch store there. Our merch store has all different t-shirts and hoodies and swag you can get for the show, including we have a charitable shirt or hoodie drop every month. This month is the 42 campaign. That's 42 like Jackie Robinson's number 42. Buy whatever t-shirt or hoodie you want with the 42 on it, and we'll be making donations to the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, which helps support scholarships to HBCUs across the country if you buy those materials. All proceeds go to the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, so make sure you grab a hoodie and help out a great cause and support the show. 
You can make sure you like, download, rate, subscribe, do all the wonderful things to help out the podcast. And whatever you do when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Shopify presents cool sheets from aha to lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat induced insomnia. That was my aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible. Signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22.